2: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Tino sending to you live from Copenhagen, Denmark. Today, it's Thursday, the 23rd of June, and we have a very interesting macro backdrop to discuss today. And with me today um, is Weston Nakamura, the global markets editor from Real Vision in Tokyo. Uh, Weston, very warm welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Great to be on with you. It is. Uh, I mean, what a macro backdrop to, uh, to have on, on a day like this. We've had a, basically a landslide in European interest rates on the back of disappointing uh, PMIs out of Europe. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I'm basically curious whether the market is slowly but surely changing its narrative towards a growth scare. Instead of an inflation scare, let's start with that million-dollar question, Weston. What do you make of that question?
3: Um, yeah, I, I think that that's probably been um, underway for you know last few weeks and and starting mm-hmm. to pick up steam. I think that still, though, by and large, you know, it's still mo- mostly an inflation uh, scare thing because simply because of the fact that. As we saw uh, with Chairman Pell for his second day in front of uh, the House uh, this time, um, but it's just the, the Fed is just inflation, 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 and, and so are the rest of the central banks, uh, global central banks, with the exception of one uh, central bank. But um, so I, I think that um, yeah, they you know they they they're, 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 con- they're going to express concern about recession, about growth slowdown, but they really need to get inflation under control. Um, but that's just my you know sort of what what's your what's your view on that uh that that tilt
2: well i think it's interesting that we've seen cracks appearing in the commodity space mm. um, we've seen oil prices retracing from highs, we've seen the copper price retracing from highs, et cetera, right? Uh, We've seen the first signs of the cycle turning against us in the commodity space. And what I find really interesting is that uh, we have this very close relationship between inflation expectations and commodity prices uh, overall across the globe. Uh, And that's one thing that could eventually lead to some uh, some kind of topic within the central banks that commodities have started to turn. Uh, what do you make of the pricing in commodity space that we've seen recently? Uh,
3: so, okay, so I'm just going to just lay this out. Uh, markets are extremely confusing right now to me. Yeah. Um, it, it's like everything that I am, you know, kind of accustomed to. I mean, I'm I'm always kind of very much on my toes. I'm always trying to question my own sort of thesis. I'm trying to, on a you know, daily basis, almost just to try to reprove if I'm uh, if I'm in in the right direction or not. But really, since uh, the SMB Swiss National Bank when they suddenly hike rates rates um, last week. That is when things just really fell apart. I mean, even basic things like you know dollar yen and and, and ten year U S Treasury yields, um, and, and you know just basic yield spreads between nominal yield spreads between U S Japan all that kind of thing. Like that, they have nothing to do with one another anymore. Uh, with regards to commodities, copper. When I think of copper, I think of you know, uh, USD C N H. Those are that correlations has, has broken down as well. So I'm, I'm very lost. Um, so I'm hoping you can have some, some sort of <laughs> answers to me, especially, especially with copper.
2: I mean, West, I've been banging the drum for quite a while that um, if you look at the credit cycle. Um, so the amount of credit available to the private sector across the globe, uh, we've seen a material slowdown in that metric over the past two, three quarters in a row. Uh, and to me, that's usually the typical harbinger before you see a slowdown in the commodity pricing. Um, and the reason is uh, that credit is a leading indicator of growth. Um, and we've had the uh, PMIs out today from from the euro area, but also mm. from uh, the market in, 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 in the USA, um, basically pointing south. Uh, no surprise to me, but a, apparently a surprise to the market, given what we've seen in interest rate space, in, in particular in Europe. Uh, but to me, It is the first sign that the cycle is clearly rolling over on growth. And I think that will turn into a topic for central banks eventually during the second half of the year. The the tricky thing here is timing, right? Because they have high inflation and a growth cycle that is clearly weakening. What do you make of that uh, cocktail? Basically, high inflation and slowing growth. It's tricky to maneuver as a central bank, right?
3: Yeah. Um it, it certainly is. I am uh of the, you know, I guess in the in, in the Jim Bianco camp, uh in mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, well, as far as the Fed is concerned, this is um, you know, they, they do have the, the dual mandate and growth is not one of those two uh mandates, you know. So yeah. US is already at certainly at full uh full employment, and so they have one job, and that is to tackle inflation. And if that means that they need to break things then they're going to have to break things um because it's not their job you know despite the last decade or so of uh artificial intervention and qe and so on and so forth it is not their job to support asset markets it's their job to you know maintain price stability and clearly we are not we are not uh i think that um yeah again it's it, it it tilts more towards towards that way but um But I I want to actually uh, ask you about, you know, especially like Europe today, it it seemed just horrendous with like, you know, especially German um, PMIs. And you had, uh, you know, some thoughts about um, manufacturing PMIs, but services PMIs. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit?
2: Well, basically, I think it's a done deal that... Manufacturing PMIs will look horrendous over the next couple of quarters. That's basically just the lagged effect of interest rates rising. Uh, We know that manufacturing PMIs are very sensitive to interest rates. Uh, So when we see interest rates rising in the way we've seen over the past couple of quarters, it will eventually lead to very, very negative manufacturing PMIs. But until now, we've Sort of cling to the straw that the service PMI uh, would stay positive uh, due to the reopening uh, effects uh, on the economy, uh, tourism booming, um, traveling booming, etc. But the first sign today from the German PMI was basically that the service sector is. Also underwater, which is a game changer to me. And I think that's why we have this very fierce reaction in interest rate space in Europe. We've had a double digit move in 10 year euro swaps as a consequence of this PMI figure. Uh, and I think it's, it's a fair move uh, given what we've seen from these PMIs, because if both services and the manufacturing part of the pmis are moving down then it eventually means that the gdp number will look very bad um so the ecb is now uh basically s- stuck between a rock and a hard place um because inflation is still running hot but growth is looking Exceptionally lackluster already. Um, and that's a tricky thing to maneuver because, it's, it, especially within the euro area, what do you do when inflation is hot and the growth is not? Right. When when you have a couple of countries within the euro area dependent on very low interest rates, it's 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 not an easy decision, right? Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm I'm happy that I'm not on the board of the European Central Bank over this <laughs> summer because I mean it it will be an extremely tricky decision. I, I want to ask you a question on sure. another central bank. Um, currently also being discussed across the uh, 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 macro um, landscape, and that's the Bank of Japan. I know that you've been following this central bank very fiercely, uh, and we've had a lot of debate ongoing on whether they will need to increase the ceiling on the yield curve control in the 10-year point. What's your take on that? Is it is it a feasible scenario at all?
3: um yeah of course it's a uh, feasible uh, you know i mean you know it's 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 certainly feasible the the question is you know how and when um but they cannot you know they 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 can't cap 25 basis points forever in a in a rising yield environment hmm. um when you're getting you know last week you had a record amount of fixed rate operation um and you know jgb buying from the bank of japan uh, matched with um, foreigners' uh, record uh, net selling JGBs to the Bank of Japan, um, and and you saw insane volatility in in JGBs as well. Um, I think that they were dating back to maybe even above the March twenty twenty uh, levels. But um, the so but the way that I see my my kind of overall takeaway from BOJ not having changed the twenty five basis point. Um, banned on yield curve control, and thereby, you know, I guess a few widows were made that day uh, to add to the large graveyard of, of of widows. But basically, you know, so Japan when it comes when it comes to you know currency versus the yen versus like you know JGBs, they have to they save one to burn the other. So currently, they're they're supporting the JGB market. And they're going to burn the yen in order to do so. Hmm. Uh, And I think that this question of like FX intervention, that is not coming for, uh, that's very far away. And I don't mean by like in terms of time, Um, I'm measuring that in terms of circumstance. Um, and so I, I, you know, like it's not a certain level. There's a lot of people who say like 135, 140, one. It's not a certain level that's uh, that's going to be, you know, some line in the sand. It's the velocity and the volatility in in which it, it it gets to that level. But the way that I see it is, you have less than one year left for this gentleman, Mr. Um, Kuroda, uh as the uh, longest running um, Bank of Japan governor on, in, in history. Um, And at that point, you're probably going to get a policy, um, a major policy shift. Um, But uh, before then, as of yesterday, we had the upper house election um, uh, campaign season start, and that's coming coming in um, early July. And then depending on how that goes, that's going to maybe influence uh, who is going to take the helm at the BOJ. Until then, though, uh, the message I'm getting is just very clear the yen can go to hell the bank of japan is going to cap 25 basis points or they're they're going to defend the you know the 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 jgb market um above and beyond anything else um and even if that means you know dollar yen at 140 150 um you know the other the the alternative is that you have you know borrowing costs uh, spike and more so than that if the bank of japan essentially is perceived to be giving into market forces. Foreign foreigners selling, um, shorting, you know, futures, JGB futures, and if that's what can basically drive the central bank policy, then the central bank has no more policy um, credibility ammo uh, left. Um, and you know, BoJ can do whatever it is that they want to do, and they don't really care about foreigners that much. But but now it's the, the reason it's different this time is because for the first time since Abenomics really. People uh, on the ground in Japan are feeling inflation and they're pissed off and they are going to express that view at the bell box. And uh, you're starting to now uh, get Japan to uh, join the rest of the Western you know, democratic capitalist nations in the non-independence of central banks and the politicization of, of central banks. But uh, that's basically my my view is basically, you know, he's, he's planted his flag down. The, the more that the, the foreigners push on uh, the JGBs, the more firm he has to be. And so Ooh. it's just going to be this reinforcing sort of thing. He cannot give in the, at, at, at any point. Um, so that's, but what, what, what are your thoughts? I know that you're,
2: you're closely watching it too. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Well, um, I'm tempted to take the opposite side of this bet, um, basically because it is very tricky to defend an easy monetary policy stance as soon as the inflation is running above target. Um, And in that regards, we have an inflation report out tomorrow, as far as I'm concerned, in Japan, right, the 24th of June. And uh, a few models, hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, just after midnight, uh, my time. I'm in Europe, uh, so that's why I say tomorrow. Yeah. Um, point being that on my models, headline inflation will spike towards three percent. I mean, it's it, it's not massive compared to what we see in Europe and what we see in the U.S. Because that's, I mean, almost close to double digit territory, right? But three percent, massive in Japan. Is, it, it's massive in japan because you've been used to like let's say 0% half percent stuff like that. Yep. what do you make of the debate as soon as inflation turns above target is that something mm-hmm. that could alter the picture?
3: yeah so um, i i think that you're spot on with your understanding of the, of that like so cpi if if headline cpi in japan goes from 2% to 3% that mm-hmm. is that would be much more of a macro, global macro shock data point than uh, U.S. CPI going from eight, an 8-handle eight to the 10-handle. Because what, like, what, what's a 10-handle? Like it's, 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 it's already terribly high, and yeah, that's going to move markets. But th- just as you said, it's, it's generations. It's three decades. It's generations of people who are accustomed to prices do not go up. Cash is king. You know, there's the the yen uh, has maintained purchasing power, um, and all that. Well, not so much anymore. Um, and you have huge, huge, you know, um, increases in just basic cost of living because of imports of energy and and food and all that. You have absolutely no wage growth to catch up with this. So, you have real wages that are just plummeting, and people are pissed off for the first time. Um, people. So the Bank of Japan did a survey. Uh, in February of 2022, right before dollar when dollar Run was 115, right before it took off, and they did a survey of just kind of like regular people, not not within the financial universe, and they asked them, "Do you know what yield curve control is?" And mm. three, uh, and about a third of respondents said they've never heard of it before. The other <laughs> another third said like they they're kind of familiar but not really or whatever. Well, now they n- now everyone knows what what it is. So now mm. for the first time, it's become. Yeah, um, so if you have a 3% handle on uh, CPI, that is going to, uh, I mean, you don't really even need that number printed. People are already feeling it. However, what you're going to get from the Bank of Japan is transitory.
2: <laughs> We've heard that uh, particular we phrase before. <laughs> to be we sure honest. have. But, but Weston, um, a question from my side. I'm based in Europe. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a lot of the audience based in the U.S., the topic of bank of japan and the yield curve control is it something that we should care about if we're not based in japan
3: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. um the um so james aiken uh, was on real vision recently with uh ral talking about um i mean there's a lot of guests who come on to really talk about this uh very topic because this is the global macro you know, uh, trade right now is dollar yen. Um, that's that is the. F, by the way, just so everyone knows, that is also the FOMC play because there's so much uncertainty with FOMC policy in the near term, and like front end rate vol is so high. If people want, rather than rather than uh, you know making a bet on FOMC policy, people are instead just shorting the yen against the dollar, and they're playing it. They're playing the, the policy divergence rather than the U.S. policy itself. So that's why. So dollar yen is like the macro trade right now. Um, But the reason that yield curve control matters is because Japan is is the largest net international investment position. It deploys most capital overseas. It is the largest foreign creditor to the United States in terms of, you know, as a country and all that. And it uh, BOJ's yield curve control is artificial or is indirect U.S. yield curve control. If you have mm. yields capped at zero or around zero in an aging society that's cash rich and yield starved, you send that that capital goes overseas and buys European like like terrible credit, like high yield, negative yielding, high yield debt in Europe and stuff like that, uh, as well as, you know, um US Treasuries and, and, and so on and so forth and so that's been keeping a lid on um on 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 risk free rate for the last you know half decade plus um mm-hmm. and that has allowed for you know um the, the, a low rate environment that has therefore you know ripple effects across risk assets and then when you and so if and so when you are now currently in an environment where every central bank is removing accommodative policy BOJ is the only one left and then they Are unable to or unwilling to, um, you know, maintain that that peg at twenty five basis points, then that's when like the bottom really falls out under the fixed income market. That's when you get sovereign yields spike, credit yields to blow out or credit spreads blow out, and you know risk assets just just plummet. Um, So that's the significance.
2: I don't know if did I miss anything? Did you? you No, no, no. You you're perfectly right. Um, One thing that I would like to add is the discussion on commodities and the link to Japan and also Mm. Germany. Uh, I live, as I like to put it, on the outskirts of Germany, uh, just north of it in Denmark. And I, I feel the pain right now of being a commodity importer. I know Japan feels the exact same pain of being an energy importer. Right now, not not as bad um, as you. not as bad as Europe, no, no, but no. yeah, <laughs> sure, surely not, surely not. But yeah. uh, I, I mean, you, you come second in line, basically. Um, and and point being that it hurts on the currency side when you are um, basically stuck in a commodity importing regime during a time of rising prices in commodities right and that's exactly why we see the euro being weak and the japanese yen being weak what's your take on this whole commodity regime and how it plays into bank of japan policy and maybe even fiscal policy in japan and maybe even europe
3: um, so on europe i'm going to have to i'm going to have to uh, divert to you on that for japan yeah. um yeah so In early June, you started to see a decoupling of um, 10-year U.S. nominal yields and dollar-yen, which were lockstep, you know, you know, take-for-take movement, and so they kind of decorrelated. That was largely uh, because uh, dollar-yen started to move alongside crude oil prices rather than um, uh, the yield spread. So, uh, being short the yen isn't just a monetary policy divergence play it is also a like you said a, you know a, a commodity you know being short commodities and having to buy at like spot market um you know in 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 an ever you know at ever higher prices um just for just to keep your basic grid uh running um Aussie yen AUDJPY, that was like, my, that's kind of my go to. Like, if you're going to short the yen against something, you should, you know, AUDJPY, although it did have a pullback, um, would probably be your best bet to do so because you have RBA, who is also ha- hiking rates. Um, and so you have the monetary policy diversions there. Plus, you got the commodity sort of, you know, upside kicker uh from from there uh as well. But and in terms of fiscal policy too, you you do start you, you are starting to see some measures from the, the government uh trying to subsidize um a lot of this energy uh as well. But it doesn't matter who like if it's the government or, or if it's private you know companies Ooh. that somebody has to buy spot LNG um and, and sell yen to do so um and then buy Aussie dollars or US USD or whatever it may be. But what's going on in the European side?
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a big mess. <laughs> uh, if you look at the German energy policy, they've closed nuclear plants over the past three, four years in a row. Um, And now they are slowly but surely reopening coal plants. Yep. Um, yeah. And they are basically buying, indirectly at least, coal from Russia, uh, even though they Tell the public that they're not doing so. So it's, I, I mean, you cannot make this shit up. Um, it's, 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 it's not pretty. Um, uh, in Denmark, we are basically based on renewables, uh, but we are a small country. Uh, so that's much, much, much yeah, easier. But the big countries within the Eurozone, they are still very, very reliant on Russia. Yeah, that, that's they... the sad truth.
3: There was a there was a Bloomberg um, article out, um, which I, I just wanted your thoughts on. I'm not necessarily, you know, saying I believe in it or not either way, but they were basically saying that Germany um, is is basically calling this a Lehman moment, yeah. Uh, in yeah, terms exactly. of, you know, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, is it, is it like the? It's a really kind of far out there analogy, but um, well,
2: well, if we assume that the current energy resource storages are intact until winter, they're basically not sufficient. Um, so if we don't get sufficient supplies from now on until October, November, then we should basically fasten the seatbelt in Europe as a consequence of that. Uh, And it is an ongoing debate. Uh, I know German politicians are uh, running around trying to solve this situation. But I mean, it's the first time in like three or four decades that this is the hottest topic. Um, And I basically assume that we will have a very tough winter as a consequence of of, of this uh, situation. I wanted to play a clip uh, for you, Weston, in this regard, because earlier this week, uh, Tian Yang, the head of research at Variant Perception, talked about his call of this commodity super cycle unfolding. Uh, And he gave an update on on this particular view. So let's have a look at this clip and, and get back to the commodity debate.
1: Again, going back to the tactical, cyclical, structural framework. I think all the stuff we talked about in terms of the structural setup for a commodity supercycle is still valid. Um, but now, it's probably tilted more towards energy specifically, where the supply response uh, uh, has been a lot less and where the, where the um, capital constraints are, are still very, very strong. So again, structurally, it's a, still a very favorable environment. However, again, we have an issue where cyclically, as the business cycle slows down, as you know, the things we mentioned, where right, the bulk effect starts to come to an end when the pull forward, the demand starts to slow down. Then you know you don't have a full alignment anymore. So in our mind, it's structurally because it's so good, it's still gonna ultimately the, the trend is still gonna be higher. Um, but you probably want to focus a bit more on the specific sectors where the supply constraint is still very obviously real. So energy being the obvious one, and then within that, because the business cycle is slowing down, because there's there's valid concerns now about um, demand not being able to sustain kind of the previous rate of increase. That also suggests that you're you're into a more Kind of slower pace of gains potentially a lot more volatile pace of gains um, right now so I would say it's um it's still very much a structural thesis, is still valid um, you know if there's market volatility and there's opportunities to buy dips into it, it it's still a thesis that makes sense but whilst the the cyclical um picture indeed some of the tactical indicators are showing that you know commodities are probably run, run up a bit too much um you know you kind of want to you don't want to have necessarily the full risk allocation and the full commitment to the trade. But ultimately, I still think it's very valid. And the key insight that um, the supply constraints is very real.
2: You can watch the uh, entire interview with Tian uh, Yang uh, on the Real Vision platform if you are an Essential Plus or a Pro subscriber. But yeah. uh, as you can see, now I have the lights back on in uh, in Europe here. It's very expensive to have them on. That's why I only <laughs> have them on for half of the show. <laughs> but uh, enough said about that, um, Western. I mean, the commodity cycle is very interesting. Also, when it comes to the um, outlook for central banks, uh, we've heard Jay Powell saying that the price of the pump is, is basically what he targets now, uh, or, or at least he's, he said that indirectly, right? What do you make of that commodity cycle? We've seen it. Uh, Kind of a slowdown in recent weeks, but is it a game changer or not?
3: um so well, first of all, we're going to that clip um I think um he a brilliant brilliant guy um yes and and i, I like I've seen him on religion like a few you know years ago he somehow just keeps looking younger, but good for him, <laughs> but um. He um, that clip, what he's talking about, it kind of r- r- reminds me of something that you, you know, uh, you were talking to Maggie uh, Lake about, which was recently, which was that, you know, what he's saying is like, yeah, you have the structural upside for, you know, commodities, but you have to pick your spots. You have to pick your, you know, what you can't just go blindly long the Bloomberg commodities index basket or something like that. And you have to know, like, you know, you have to really get your timing correct and so that really reminds me of when you you know when i was watching you talking about putting on a long uh duration trade um as well as we were talking about you know going putting on a long yen trade mm-hmm. so um what are your thoughts on that i mean i feel like it you know you know Chen's got like a very good point uh like right now it's it isn't this blindly long sort of you know commodities for the inflation play you really do have to pick and and choose like cuz if you're if you were long HG uh, copper, you'd be destroyed um, right now, and uh, and so on and so forth. So, what I guess, what are your thoughts? How about uh, being long Treasuries? Um,
2: what's your call on that? I'm tempted, Weston. Uh, that's that's the honest call from here. Um, if you look at it, we have a growth cycle that is very clearly slowing. We've got new evidence of that today. Um, We have a liquidity cycle that is very clearly slowing. Um, Bank of Japan is the only exception, but otherwise, all big central banks are pulling liquidity back from markets. And that's usually something that leads to less risk appetite and more appetite for long bonds. And then thirdly, we need the inflation cycle to turn um and if we look at inflation expectations they have started to turn uh break evens are back to lows that we mm-hmm. haven't seen for quite a few uh, quite a few months um which is something to consider um and I, th- I guess the ultimate trigger which is something you cannot really wait for is the final confirmation from spot inflation if we get a couple of months in a row with declining month on month inflation in the u s or in Europe, that is your final call to buy bonds. Um, we don't have that yet, but I kind of suspect that it's too late to join the party if you wait for that signal what's your I take was, on it
3: I was going to say like, yeah, by the time you get that print, yeah. I mean the trade's over <laughs> that's that's where you can make that's where you sell maybe right or exit i mean for me uh, my you know my kind of personally my sweet spot is i trade the i trade mostly vol on futures but it's Hmm. weeks so i don't i'm I'm not uh you know like like very long term but um and and i would trade against my view uh, as well um and just stay very flexible um ultimately i'm just very flows driven um but yeah i mean i think that once you get those prints it's over so uh that's what so makes it so tough right is that you have to like a day like today it would have been like you would think like okay is this where um you know i i think like a five year boons had dropped like a, a, a some sort of record or something like that um in terms of a one day drop yeah. and 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 so those are those are days where like uh, th- those are either extreme moves um because of illiquidity um or extreme moves because there's actual real money that's going to get more uh momentum behind it and we won't know until it's done.
2: <laughs> I think the big surprise today is that the service sector was down so much in the PMI, PMI yeah, Yeah, because that basically means that the entire economy is down. And if the service sector is down, then the recession is near. And when the recession is near, you should buy bonds. That is at least my view. We have a couple of questions that I uh, want to debate with you before uh, we sure. conclude tonight's debate. Um, there's a question on oil could we go back sup 100 a barrel is that a feasible scenario what do you make of that weston no
3: yeah, of course yeah but, uh, yeah i mean yeah sure uh, if um but it's going to be because of um i'm assuming you talk about wti but it doesn't really matter yeah. but like uh it's going to be because of outsized options positioning so if you start getting close to the 100 handle and you're going to see there's going to be a massive wall of puts you go through that you're going to have a you know a dealer like a gamma flip, and you're just gonna go f- down to mid nineties like that that later that day so certainly yeah. is yeah which is a which might be a buying opportunity
2: yeah, true, but if we go sub one hundred, it's because of the demand side, not the supply side in my humble opinion uh we have another question uh directed to you weston uh in regards to the Bank of Japan that we've talked a lot about tonight um Bo asks whether um, he he says here the Bank of Japan is at zero and now owns half of the GDBs issued. The rest of the world is raising interest rates and tightening the balance sheets into a slowing economy. In your opinion, which model breaks first of the two?
3: Uh, Which model? Between Japan versus everybody else? Yeah. Big question. Um, (laughs) I, 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 I mean, I guess define breaks, but they, first of all, they could break simultaneously. Um, one could, be, you know, it's, Japan's not really in isolation per se. That's why people also need to 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 be be careful. But like, look, like if Japan, like I said, if Japan, um, lets go of its twenty five base point yield, uh, curve control, um, by choice or by force via the RBA, who's now pretending to, you know, make by choice whatever it is um that that is going to cause ripple effects duration everywhere and that's going to destroy risk assets everywhere so it's not just a a japan thing so it's not like it's not like a japan breaks thing um or or something else but i think that japan um because you have a current account surplus you have an unlimited printing press and you do have it is one of the world's not not you know global reserve currencies but it is a major fx pair um they can they can basically just keep doing this and keep acquiring jgbs like what's the difference between owning 6% outstanding um you know issuance 70% outstanding issuance versus now they can do that until kuroda's uh you know term's over but at that point they're going to have to start to um you know signal or or potentially not signal at all and, and and change policy um so okay. i don't think that i don't think that this current structure will break um because of the fact that you have the finish line for kuroda soon
2: I like both view. I, I think the Bank of Japan will break at some point. They will at least increase this uh, target for the 10-year yield curve control. That's my view. Uh, well, at least I, I like to bet on it. Um, well, so
3: but... so, so I, I would agree. So again, depending on how you define break, but like they mm. said in 2013, two years, 2%. So it's been far. It's been like four times longer, and they and you know nowhere near like that until recently. So you could say that it already failed. You know, like uh, <laughs> many many years ago. So it already broke and it failed. Yeah. So.
2: Exactly, Weston. Let's conclude on tonight's discussion. The Bank of Japan is under fierce pressure. It will be very interesting over the next couple of weeks whether they can actually control this yield curve, um, given the amount of pressure that they are faced with by big uh, international institutions. We have compelling evidence from the eurozone that the service sector is also under immense pressure, which leads a recession closer uh as as far as i'm concerned and also that could be a signal that interest rates are going down at uh in the long end of the yield curve western thank you very much for for joining the show it was a pleasure to talk to you tonight
3: uh pleasure all mine thank you so much this was fun we should do this again sometime.
2: time yeah we should definitely do it again um everyone out there thanks for watching the real vision daily briefing we will be back tomorrow my colleague maggie lake will interview jim bianco on the developments again tomorrow and i think it will be another interesting day in markets thanks for watching
1: what's up revolutionaries thanks for tuning in to the real vision daily briefing for more content like this